Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how you utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Nathan Cassiotis. I'm a business growth expert where I help business owners grow and scale to create wealth and freedom. And today, I have an awesome guest. Her name is Angela Kaiser. She is a leadership, emotional, and cultural intelligence trainer and coach with 26 years of experience. She has worked with dozens of organizations and thousands of individual clients from all walks of life and every level of organization. And she helps her clients develop essential human skills that are often overlooked and not formally taught. Skills such as managing emotions, listening, and dealing with conflict, which are crucial for effective leadership, fostering strong local and remote teams, and cultivating productive organizational cultures. And her extensive global experience includes living in 10 different countries and working in 17 and traveling to over 50 countries. That's amazing. And her passion lies in supporting individuals to lead fulfilling lives and careers, enabling them to thrive in the 21st century world with its unique challenges and abundant opportunities. Welcome, Angela Heiser, and thank you for being on my show. Thank you, Ethan. <laughs> awesome. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing show for everyone watching and listening today. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us about your journey. Thank you. Um, well, the potted version is, is, is can be long and windy or very short. Uh, so I'll stick with the short one. As you, as we have already discussed, I'm, I was born in Germany and I have always been interested in traveling. My mother used to joke that I was born with itchy feet. So when I left Germany, you know, for, for shorter periods, initially, I, I went on my first exchange program to England when I was 11 um, and I didn't want to come back. I, I really loved being in other cultures. Everybody thought that was fairly normal. My family always thought it was really weird that I would just establish a career, work in it for a few years and then change countries again. So they would always call, oh, here she goes again. Will you ever settle down? Which I did eventually. But I did study history and Chinese, which was my alternative to studying psychology, because that was something at the time that was really all about rats and statistics. So that didn't really interest me. I was I wanted to find out what makes people happy. And what helps them create a, a successful and fulfilled life. And so cross-cultural history was a really interesting thing to study. And since I was studying Chinese, I focused on Chinese-American history. And I ended up studying in the U.S. and doing my master's there. And then I worked as a researcher for a little while. And then I went to Taiwan and worked in Taiwan, pretended to be a native English speaker and had... Um, and then they kicked me out of the school when they found out that I wasn't. I had a really strong West Coast accent at the time. And one of my students offered me a job and I became an import-export manager. And to cut a very long story short, I ended up studying textiles in Austria. And then I ran a business in Hong Kong for a few years, working all over Southeast Asia. And then from there, I went back to Germany just to see if I could live there again and became a TV producer for a program on sexuality and love, which was really interesting. I mean, we tackled issues that I had never even considered. And I learned more about people probably during all of those years, and especially during that time, than I would have learned if I had studied psychology. Yeah. And um, then I came to Australia for a, on a holiday, and somebody offered me a job. And all of a sudden, I was the manager for a holistic health seminar network. And from there, I, I had studied counseling and, and neuro-linguistic programming and all sorts of other things. 
And I started working with people at that point and felt that after 20 years of working on myself, I was finally equipped with the skills to be able to do that. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Yeah, amazing. What a story. I love the journey and um, so diverse in all these different ways and love the NLP background. I'm an NLP master as well. So um, yeah, so important to understand the mind and, and helping others um, move forward there. So yeah, very powerful. And um, you know, leadership's a big thing these days. And I know you're, you're big on, on leadership and uh, mm. becomes, you know, more and more important, right? As the business grows. So, um, what I'd like to know from your perspective is because everyone sees leadership a little bit different. So how do you define like traits of a good leader and why is it important, you know, to be one? Well, first of all, for me, leadership starts with one thing that's really important and that's self-leadership. You can't lead other people unless you know how to lead yourself. And then I've got two um, two statements that I that I imprint on all of my clients is as a leader, you've got two jobs. The first one is you need to make yourself redundant, but not um, irrelevant. And then the other one is as a leader, you need to create new leaders. So it's important that we are leaders and that we have leadership because that's the next generation. That's the future of our business, of our world. And if we don't step up and we create people who are equipped with the skills to manage the 21st century, it's not going to be that great for us. So leadership is crucial, absolutely crucial. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Um, you know, it's so interesting with how we, um, yeah, we look at things and um, I love that self-leadership first um, because, yeah, we need to be able to grow ourselves to be mm -hmm. able to grow others at the same time. And, you know, emotional intelligence, you know, is becoming more important than just IQ right these days. And so, yeah, how do you, like a lot of people thinking, what is emotional intelligence? How do you define it? And then how do we really cultivate it both, I guess, within ourselves and then, yeah, within our team as well? Mm -hmm. I used to teach courses at Sydney University, so I had one day to teach people emotional intelligence and they would come in and they would say, my boss told me I had to be here because I don't know how to deal with people. And so I would say, okay, so there are four quadrants in emotional intelligence. So the first one is know yourself, then manage yourself, know others and manage others. So I said, so why are you here? And they generally would say to manage other people. And I would say, yeah, that's not where we're going to start. We're actually going to start with knowing yourself. So the four, it's really important that when you know yourself, you also don't go straight to knowing yourself. Oh, that now I know how to manage other people. So when you know how to, when you know how to manage yourself and you know other people, then you can manage other people. So emotional intelligence requires you to be aware of your own emotions. Everything starts with that. If you don't know how you're feeling, you make bad decisions you judge people on, on things that you perceive in yourself because you think you know yourself and therefore, you know, you know other people, but that's not how it works. You need to actually be really curious and, and the highly underrated tool, ask lots of questions. So knowing how you, how you feel and then knowing how to manage yourself. So that's also the basis for any kind of leadership. And, and it's the ability to recognize how you feel and then the ability to also recognize that that all emotions are really important and really useful. There are a lot of people who talk about positive and negative emotions. And, you know, it's like you live in your positive emotions and you don't, you know, you, you know how to manage negative ones, but it's every emotion is useful. There is no negative emotion. It only becomes negative when you decide to get stuck in it. But then it's not the emotion, then it's the mindset behind it. So if I decide that I'm going to be staying angry for the next three years of my life, then I've let the emotion stay, you know, stay on top of me. But if I say, 
I recognize that I'm really angry right now and I'm going to do something productive about it, then I have utilized the emotion. And anger is all about putting boundaries back in place. So there's there's always this, what's the value in this emotion? And then managing, using it to manage myself and managing other people so I can have really great relationships. So emotional intelligence used to be highly you know, I, I used to go into companies and I would say, oh, emotional intelligence, no, we don't do group hugs. It's just, you know, that's just all the woo-woo and the fluffy stuff. And we don't, we don't do that. Now, people have recognized that every leadership assessment is actually an emotional intelligence and a social intelligence assessment. So if you don't know how you're feeling, if you don't know how to motivate other people, if you don't know how to give feedback, if you don't know how to empower people, if you don't know how to have the difficult conversation with people, you're not a leader, you're a manager. Yeah, love that. So powerful. Um, and I love that distinction. Like at the end that you were saying, the leader, the manager, right? It's not just about the KPIs, but it's about the person and, yeah. and how you're, you're relating to each other. So yeah, extremely powerful um, with all of those areas there. And, you know, I know you speak about emotional productivity. So mm -hmm. Talk to me a bit more about how do emotions and productivity work together and, and what different outcomes, I guess, you know, should we expect from it? Well, emotional productivity is for me this, what I mentioned before, it's the ability to take a so-called negative in air quotes emotion and turn it into a power for good. So I can, I can instead of um, being really angry and starting yelling, screaming, shouting, all of those things that people do when they get really angry, Instead of doing that and saying, you know what, I'm I, I'm really angry right now. I'm going to go for a walk, and then I might be able to utilize somebody's help. I, I call these people sunshine people because it's all about, you know, I can go out and, and spread fog or I can spread sunshine. And if I've got a sunshine person who is able to say, I listen to you for five minutes, just offload, get the anger out of your system. And then go back and have another constructive conversation with the person that triggered that emotion. They didn't make you feel angry. So that's if they could, if I could change two, there are two um, expressions that I would love to remove from people's vocabulary. And the one is that somebody makes you feel something. And the other one that people feel fine. Because that's that's just the way of saying, I don't want to talk about my emotions. Now, we make all of our decisions based on emotions. And yes, other people can trigger us, but it's always our choice what we do. There's a space between stimulus and response. And that's where the choice is. When we react, then we take that choice away and we outsource the responsibility to other people. And we say, you made me angry. No, I made the choice to react to the trigger that I perceived. And that's that's really, you know, that's a really powerful distinction because I'm now accountable to how I act and how I how I respond to a situation. And that's that's sometimes difficult for people because it's so much easier to to say to somebody, you made me do this, you made me feel. Yeah, I love that. So powerful and um love talking about the triggers and stuff. It's so interesting. And you know, I know, you know, my journey, I, I was sort of on the other end where I would stay neutral a lot and because I'm, you know, not feeling the emotion as much, but then, you know, when you start to understand it and then it's about, yeah, that not reacting um, at that time, um, being able to control that, um, especially in a, in a business sense, obviously in some of the times you want to be able to feel the emotions as well, but um, yeah, 
you always want to feel the emotion. That's the important thing. It's we we push our emotions down as a as a as a protection mechanism because when we go numb, then we don't have to feel the pain, and then we can react with an emergency situation because. When we get really upset about something, the whole chemistry of our body changes. So the blood that we have in our neocortex that helps us think actually gets gets when we get really upset about something and adrenaline gets triggered, the blood gets redistributed into arms and legs. Because when you're in an emergency situation where, you know, like this is the old caveman, where the saber, saber tooth tiger um, hunts you, you don't want to think. You want to be able to react really quickly. So by having no blood, when the blood is redistributed, no blood in the brain, you can't think. We need oxygen to think. So, so when we are, so this is why it's so important when you get really, really upset about something, take a really deep breath, ideally four or five breaths, and have that moment that puts that oxygen back, back into your brain to be able to then say, let me think about this. Or, you know what, I, I, I am, I, this is how I feel right now. You don't even have to express it, but if I can say to myself, whoa, I'm getting really angry here right now, and then I take a really deep, deep breath and I say, let me think about that for a minute, or let me call you back, or I'm just going to walk around the block and then come back and I have reset myself. I have got more oxygen in the brain to now have a really good conversation rather than hitting somebody with a, you know, with a metaphorical club over the head or run for the hills. Yeah, I love that. Love all these distinctions. Really, really powerful. And you know, a lot of people, and I love the distinctions of emotional intelligence. But while a lot of people haven't heard of cultural intelligence, right? Not not spoke about very often. It's more of a newer thing that's coming out. So I know you're big on this as well. So tell us more about what cultural intelligence is, and you know how we can improve it. Well, cultural intelligence for me is is one of the things that we really, really need because it's not just other countries. It's also the people, I mean, we, we've talked about this before we started recording, that you have you have different you, you have different cultures in the same country. I mean, Tasmania is very different from the Northern Territory. And you know, Texas is very different from Massachusetts to just or, or Germany, Bavaria and North and and, and then um the north, very, very different. And the ability to recognize that we are different and that we're all the same, that we're all human beings and that we all have emotions, we all have boundaries, we all have needs, but we, we need to be able to distinguish between the different ways in which we express them culturally. So, like give I give you one very basic construct, time. And, and cult, we deal with cultures, uh, with time and different cultures very, very differently. Like, and that could be between companies even. You know, when I go into a company and sometimes it's perfectly okay to be five minutes late for a meeting. In other companies, you know, everybody is in the meeting five minutes before the meeting actually starts. And then you go into other countries and, you know, you're lucky if people show up within half an hour of the time that you've allocated Whereas in other countries, same thing, you know, everybody shows up five minutes early. So a lot of the time we judge people based on these things that we don't really know consciously about. Because culture is like an iceberg, you know, 10% are above the surface and 90% are below. And when we have cultural intelligence, then we understand that people deal with time and space and how we think and how we deal with hierarchy or all of these different aspects that make culture totally differently and when we understand the patterns behind it then we don't get triggered nobody makes us feel anything 
and we can appreciate the differences and we can cultivate them and, and we can actually maximize the benefit because if there's one thing that we've learned over the last few decades is that diversity creates more empowerment, it creates more better thinking, it creates synergy, you create better results, you have more create you have more out of the box kind of thinking than if you've got just homogenous kind of groups where everybody thinks the same and you know has the same kind of patterns. Yeah, I love that. Really powerful. And one thing you reminded me of with NLP is about um, how people view time as well, right? Because there's a culture, but it's also in time and through time. So, yes. you know, people, how you see your time, we won't go into all the details now, but basically the people that see it a certain way are always on time. That's like myself, whereas my wife was always late to things, right? But um, I've trained her in a way to how I think about time and now she's getting a lot better with it. But it's interesting, right? Because, you know, friends that we used to meet up with, her, they're like, oh, she's always late. But once you have the awareness that, mm -hmm. yes, there's a culture of things, but maybe some people, how they are, maybe they're, they're not used to focusing on time that well, and maybe they need some strategies, right, on how they can get better at time to fit in with that culture and everything and just having that awareness at the same time. And that's a conversation to be had. How do we deal with time? And when you've got, for example, multinational teams, you know, there, is, there has to be a, a, a company culture where these things are actually explicitly stated. Um, but it's also with friendships and marriages and all of that. I know that I had, for example, when I invite, when I get together with South American friends, I generally give them an earlier time because I know they will always be coming later. And, you know, with Germans, it's like, you know, you tell them this is the time it starts and they will be there at that time. So it's just playing with that. And it, sometimes, I mean, I had, I had, you know, I had one dinner party where I forgot to tell my South American friends that we, we started at seven and I told them seven and they were bringing the appetizers and they showed up at 9.30 when we were already having dessert and bringing the appetizer. And it was just, you know, and again, that's, that's the kind of thing that also happens in business. You know, when you do business with, with, with South American countries or with Southeast Asian countries, time and space and hierarchy and all of these things are dealt with completely differently. And when you know how to do that, you can have empathy, you can be more productive because you're not wasting time and energy, you know, getting into that space of why are they doing this? But it's just a, that's how they are. And then finding the middle ground by discussing these things. But if you're not aware of them, that's where the emotional intelligence comes in. You're probably just fine the whole time, you know, fed up, irrational, neurotic, emotionally unavailable, fine. Yeah, I love that. Um, so interesting. And um, yeah, let's delve a bit into this, right? Because I think business is all about relationships, right? Like, you know, we're in teams, whether it's obviously clients, but even internally, right? Like with teams and understanding all of these elements. And you know, the term that I've always known about is like situational awareness. Is like, what do I do and say in that moment, right? And having that awareness. Um, and when you're understanding the personality, right, of the person, because some people want to be communicators in a way. And there's a great saying that I learned, you know, through NLP is that, um, don't, you know, that old saying of don't treat people how you want to be, how you want to be treated. No, it's treat people how they want to be treated, right? Because that's how you get the, the effective message across, basically. So what are some things you can yeah, elaborate a bit more on this about understanding different people and, and, you know, so when to sort of, yeah, how to communicate better and change things up? Well, there's a, there's a really great saying that's called read the room. And that just basically means before you go in and make assumptions, wait, look around. The, and this is something also in NLP. It's the ability to actually have that sensory acuity, the ability to open your eyes 
open your ears and just notice what's going on. And then instead of reacting immediately, it's about looking at what are the patterns that I'm observing here right now? How do people interact with each other? How do they respond? Like, I mean, it's nice that we had a little conversation before we started this. And I, you know, I find that always really important because it builds the relationship, right? A lot of people are very task focused these days. They, they go and they start, this is when the meeting starts and we start talking business immediately. But when you go into a situation and you say, let's get to know each other as people a little bit first, you know, like it doesn't, it, you don't have to share big, the biggest, darkest secrets. And I always say, you don't have to make the people your, your new best friend and take them home for a barbecue and a beer over the weekend. But it's about building that relationship by saying, I'm here to understand you. What makes you tick? How, what motivates you? What are your needs? You know, we all have needs that are, you know, like around autonomy and competence, for example. But some people have needs around independence. So if, for example, in a leadership role, some people need want more involvement than others. So when you when you can have that relationship where you can say to somebody, okay, theoretically we should we should meet every few days, but I know you're really competent in what you're doing. So we don't really need to check in all the time because that that borders on micromanaging. Let's just do this once a week where somebody else really wants to have that kind of contact because then they're extroverts and they get their solutions by, you know, talking through it. Then that's that's more important than, you know, then it's more important to meet on a more regular basis. So it's the ability to look at the relationship with each individual and then build the culture around it. So that's why often when a good leader leaves a company, the people who worked really well with them often go with them. So I've experienced that quite a few times. So when people have the really strong relationships, they stick together and then then you've got the trust and you've got you've got that smooth flow and then you can deal with problems really well instead of relying on and you can rely on the fact that you can say you know me. This is an this is an extraordinary situation. Let's deal with this right now. And that's instead of going these are the rules and this is how we're going to cope with this. You don't know me, but this is how we're going to deal with that. And I think that's that's becoming a big problem now because like with Zoom is just, you know, coaching sessions face to face often last much longer than coaching sessions on Zoom because it's just and I make an I make an effort, but it's often this I have scheduled half an hour or an hour for this and then the the personal relationship just gets pushed pushed aside. And I'm always inviting people. It's like, make time for relationship and, and really get to know people. Just get curious. You don't even have to say very much. You can just ask questions. Yeah, I love that. So true. Completely agree um, with all of that. I love the curiosity frame. I think that's extremely important as well. Um, mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, why is this person doing something? It's interesting. Why is this person, you know, being like this? You know, it's the same thing, but just have that curiosity lens and yeah. yeah, everything starts to open up um, from there. So I, I love all of that. And you touched on it a bit there about Zoom, right? I think, you know, remote working is a big mm -hmm. thing now, you know, people, whether it's, you know, some people are still in person, some people are fully remote. Some Sometimes it's hybrid now. I'm seeing a lot in Australia where they're sort of going in the office two, three days a week or whatever, but there's a variety of elements to this. So what are your thoughts around the differences now with how we're working together, you know, and culture and everything like that in how, yeah, the new way of working? Well, one of the things that we see right now is, you know, we are very much people that, that communicate through body language. 
It doesn't matter what culture, there's always some kind of body language. And with Zoom, we have this little square and we have to, and, and the brain is constantly busy adding up and, you know, what's the information that I'm missing? There's something happening. It's like, if I gesture down here, you can't really see that. So unless I move my hands up here and there's some people who are, you know, like, again, you, you don't build a lot of rapport if, if you're just focusing on the content of the message, right? We are, most of our, the way we communicate is body language and tonality. So it's about getting people into that space where they just become a little bit more animated when you talk on Zoom, right? Yes, definitely. Just, just, and, and, and become more personal. And there, there are all these, these, um, I've, I've just actually done, done, done a, had a conversation with somebody about all the boundaries that we have on Zoom. You know, this is, we, because it's becoming so task focused, people think it's perfectly okay to have a meeting without the, the, the video camera going. It's just the black screen with a name on it. So it's, it's really hard to build trust when you can't see the person. So the, the skills that you need and the, and the guidelines, again, it's, people don't negotiate those. They don't build a remote team culture. They just hope that it's all going to work out. So when I talk to people about when is the last time you've caught up socially with people? Well, you used to hang out, you know, at, at in an office, you hang out at the water cooler. Not necessarily that, but you meet in the kitchen and while you're making a coffee, for example, and you would have those chats. But when you do is when you have a Zoom culture, people don't do that. It's just it's just so task focused. So it's about the ability to build a culture where people also have social gatherings that are, you know, or at least part of the conversation is around social, catching up and, and, and seeing what's going on for people. That is so important. And because people are working remotely in different countries now, how do you manage time zones? How do you, you know, backgrounds? I mean, there are all sorts of things that we need to discuss. And I, I love exploring that with people. Um, I'm working with an organization at the moment and it's like, there's the Frenchman in, in Singapore dealing with the Englishman in, in Sydney. And so you've got the Australian and the Singapore culture that's running underneath because, you know, after a while we start adopting into the culture that we live in, but then there's also the French and the English. And it's just helping people communicate in that way more effectively and build the trust and the communication skills that, that I think that's really important. Yeah, nice. I love that. And um, just one little thing to add, what I'm seeing now with businesses, is there's a lot of these like virtual environments, right? Where they're trying to create for people, which I think is a, is a good sign to try and get it, you know, to an in-person where they've got like rooms and things where you yeah. go into and you're, you see, so you sort of get into that mode and, and can have that chat, you know, over a coffee or yeah. you know, in, in the lounge or whatever it is, um, you know, which is pretty cool, I think as well. Yeah, that's coming. And I'm really curious to see how that goes because, we're shifting. So, I mean, there's, there's so much happening that, that on the interpersonal way in which we relate to each other, it's just, we need to renegotiate the, the, the terms of engagement and not just transfer, you know, as you said, you know, we've got the virtual environment and we can have coffee together and all of that, but it's still, we still need to get to know each other. We still need to take the time. And just because we're in a virtual environment and we can just plonk, ourselves basically in there and just immediately get down to business we need to remember that we're human beings and not human doings yeah definitely love that one uh that different one there and um you know a lot of the time in in organizations 
we want to be able to grow, right? We want to foster this, this, you know, this good culture that we're creating to really innovate, right? And be creative and do different things. So do you want to maybe share some things about like, you know, the benefits of, of how we work together and how we can really, you know, breed some innovation, creativity um, in our culture within, you know, the team and organization as well? That's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a De Bono trainer. So I teach six thinking hats and lateral thinking and I run creative thinking sessions. So the very first thing that I can say that helps with innovation is, do not have your brainstorming sessions on the same day, at the same time, in the same place, with the same people. So a lot of people think that, that you know, by having that consistency, you know, that this is, we're making um, space for, for brainstorming and for innovation by thinking outside the box. If everything is the same, you start firing the same neurons over and over again. I have run creative thinking sessions in parking garages, on beaches, in parks, I have invited people who had absolutely nothing to do with the business to take part in it because they bring an outside perspective into it. So they are there's and the other thing that's really important is that when you want people to think outside the box, the 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 worst thing you can say to somebody is yes, but nothing creates creativity faster than yes, but because that means that anything that follows the but, you know, ignores what happened before. So the important thing is to say, that sounds like an interesting idea. Let's explore that. And I, I, I encourage people to, when somebody comes up to you with a crazy idea, nothing, you know, like you can never unthink something, use it to come up with something. You can always tailor it. If it's completely out of the box, well, have a look at it and see what you can make work, but don't dismiss it immediately. And, and then this is the important thing when it comes to, to brainstorming or any kind of innovation. It's the be curious, not judgmental. I love Ted Lasso. So, so anybody who hasn't watched Ted Lasso, be curious, not judgmental. Give people room to ex actually express things. Like when I when I, I I have people that I call up and I say, I just need to extrovert here. I've got I've got something that I want to work on. I need some creative input, but right now I just need to talk. I just need to get it out of my head. And then, then we can talk about it. And often what we do is the average person listens for nine seconds before they, before, you know, and then they make a suggestion. And creativity comes from exploring and letting somebody, rev, you know, revel on and just have a, have a talk about things. And, and that's where things happen. Not when we get into a really structured environment where, you know, we do the we do creative thinking or we, we're thinking about innovation on Tuesdays at nine o'clock in this in this room or in this Zoom meeting, whatever it might be. So it's being really open and and just giving people the the space to it, it doesn't matter what position they have in the company, that's the important thing. Right? Yeah, it's everybody has creative ideas. And sometimes the people who've got nothing to do with the solution you're looking for are the ones that come up with. Yes, so true. I love that. And um, I love the bit, you know, you're talking about being open and non-judgmental. And I think that also is relevant in like learning, right? Where, you know, people going in, I see this so many times when you go to events or, you know, training and coaching and things like that, where people are sitting there, they got their arms like this, and I'm not going to listen to this person. You know, you can see the body language. I'm like, this person's, you know, not taking the information in, right? They've made it. So when I 
when I take people to a, a maybe a new type of event for the first time, I, I preframe them. This is an NLP thing, right? So I'm making sure I said, listen, we have to write notes. I'm giving you a pad. Now, what do you mean I have to write notes? I'm giving you a pad because you remember more when you write notes. Yeah. And then I said, listen, you may go in and go, I don't know about this or whatever. So you can't do that. You have to go in completely open to get 100% of the information. Then later you decide what you want to choose. Mm. So that the brain then you know, it does not delete anything that comes in, right? Yeah. And then that's where you get the breakthroughs, um, you know, with things. I think too many people are a bit closed-minded these days, unfortunately, whereas if they, they had that frame of mind, then it's massive, the amount of change that can happen with the mindset and then, you know, everything else as well, right? I generally invite people to pretend that they're children and that they, they just have that mindset of a child who can watch, I mean, I generally, you know, the, the movie Frozen. I know parents, when you just say Frozen, they start shivering because the children watch it 50 times in a row. And that's the thing. It's I, I, I always encourage people to have a goal when they do a workshop. What kind of learning goal do you have? But then be completely open and trust that their unconscious mind will pick up all the information that it needs to help you get there. Like a, like a plane, it goes on autopilot, right? You don't have to think about it all the time. You don't have to hold on to it, but you pick up all sorts of things as you go. And that's that's the fun bit because you can you can have a goal and pick up lots of information and then you can do the same course again. And it's a totally new course. I've done that. I, I had one course that I did six or seven times and it was a, and I, we used the same training manual every time. And I remember picking it up after the fourth time and there was an, you know, ring bound. I opened it up and there was an exercise in there. And I went, that was not in there last time. I remember that, that I would have remembered that exercise, but because my learning goal was so different, I, I, I totally, that bypassed me completely consciously. I'm sure unconsciously there was, there was something in there, but it's that, that openness to saying, as you said, there's so much to explore there. And if I just go in to, co to confirm my competence, I miss so much. Yeah, I love that. So true. And um, yes, I've done things many times as well. And it's amazing the the growth because you don't remember it all. And you just like, it's like a building block um, where you put all the pieces together as you do it each time. And, uh, you know, this is coaching and mentoring, right? The power of it um, mm -hmm. there. And I'd love to hear it from your perspective, you know, how important coaching mentoring is in business and also for yourself and what it's helped you, you know, to achieve. Well, I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for my coaches. And people say, so you've been coaching for 26 years. Now you're you're cooked, you're done, right? No, I have a coach who challenges me, who last week just kicked me big time, which was really great. I needed that because sometimes when we're really stuck in in our own patterns, it's really hard to see what's going on. We can see what's going on for other people, but sometimes the reality is so close to our face that we can't see what's going on. So coaching and mentoring is absolutely crucial. And I would encourage everybody to have a business mentor, somebody who's in the same industry as you or has experience in, in what you're doing so they can help you with the subject matter and then have a coach who helps you navigate all the other stuff around it, your mindset, your challenges, your beliefs, all of these things to help you become not only a bit better business person, but a better human being all around. And you know, that's just, we are, we are made to grow. And sometimes it's really hard to grow when you don't know what you want to grow into. And then having somebody who can support you in that, that's absolutely crucial. And what it does, it accelerates the process incredibly. I mean, instead of going through years of trying and testing things, you can have somebody who can help you 
guide you in into the shortcut yeah i love it so true completely agree with that um with that and that's why i've got the business with the nba and the nlp together because i know the business and the mindset are important so i aim to give the whole the whole pit pie to um to my clients as well i know you help your clients with all the, your skills um you know and everything that you've learned um as well in those spaces and um yeah it's been a very powerful um, episode today Angela. so much value and everything there and as we're um, wrapping up what one key piece of advice would you like to give to all the entrepreneurs that are watching and listening today there's no failure. It's just, if it doesn't work, just do it again. It's, it's the mindset behind it. It's the, it's the ability to say, you know what, I've given this a good go. I got angry. I got frustrated. I know this isn't working. I'm going to do something else and just keep going. And, and if you have, there are people around you who tell you that you can't prove them wrong, but don't do it for them. Do it for yourself. And, and, you know, and that's, that's the journey and that's the joy of you know they they say you know you create yourself you don't you you don't heal yourself or re, re, rediscover yourself or whatever people use i always say create who you want to be so and then failure is just a wonderful tool to learn what doesn't work yeah i love that I completely agree with all of that so true just keep going um and you always succeed right if you keep going and get some help around you so Really, really powerful message there, Angela. And yeah, we connected through our network. So I learned about your awesome journey from living in you know 10 different countries, working in 17 in so many different areas to now being a, you know, a leadership, emotional and cultural intelligence trainer and coach. Uh, amazing woman, so knowledgeable. And I'm sure you continue to help and support individuals to lead fulfilling lives and careers and them to thrive in the 21st century world with its unique challenges and abundant opportunities. You know, very grateful that we connected. I look forward to working with you. So, Angela, how can people find you and get in contact with you? Well, the easiest way is my website, AngelaHeiser.com, or you can also find me on LinkedIn, and that's also just Angela Heiser. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, de definitely check out Angela on those guys. It'll be in the show notes as well, but uh, very powerful and uh, so much experience in what she does to help you take yourself uh, and your company in the leadership elements and all those other areas to the next level. And uh, I want to thank everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. And please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis or visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. If you want to grow and scale your business, you can reach out to me in any platform to see if we're a good fit. And I completely agree with you, or do I? The only way we know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results. Thank you.